fast forward, I heard Star Wars was happening. So I basically, <laughs> I knew that the only way in, I call it my Ferris Bueller day. Right. Uh, the only way in was, and God, this has another little roundabout story too. But anyway, I'll get to this first one. <laughs> uh, the only way in, the production designer was Gavin Bouquet, uh, who's really famous. He's very renowned um, production designer. Didn't know him from Bar of Soap. But I basically rang his office. I got the number for the art department at Fox in Sydney and rang and got through to his assistant. And I decided I'm not going to give her a yes or no option. I just so I rang up and I said, "Hi, I'm Justin Nix. I'm going to be in Sydney on Thursday or Friday. I'm not really sure which. Uh, I'm going to have a meeting with Gavin. Which day would be better? Or slot me in for a time?" She goes, bah, 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 two, "It's Thursday, two o'clock, right?" I said, "That's fine, great." Goes, Justin Nix, D I X, no problems, thanks. And I hung up. I was like, "Fuck, did I just get an interview? Work. Did I just get an interview?" <laughs> and um, so literally, and again, turns out to be some of the most stupid thing I did, but some, some, some of it. So it was like a week away. You know, I sort of wanted to give myself a week buffer. <laughs> I um, I put on a suit, which is the worst thing I could have done when you're going for a job in a film. Film, it's not a fucking. I'm, I'm not. I've yeah. never been in like it's not that sort of an interview. No, but I did. I it's put on a suit. Representative, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I should have are. been as sloppy as all yeah. fuck, really. But uh, anyway, I put on a suit, tie, and then um, <laughs> I had my folio, which was in a big black thing, and had photos of all this nightclub and everything I'd built, and blah 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 designs, and it was eclectic, and I'd just done so much stuff, and um. I went through the Fox. Well, actually, I was going through this Fox security and saw all these photos of people and it said, do not let on set or on, on the lot. So I went, oh, fuck, they're people who are banned, right, banned from the lot. Oh, right. So I didn't want to ever be one of those people. But anyway, so I'm walking. I, they signed me in. No problems to get a badge. Go to the art department. I'm obviously going, because they're building things already. And, right. I, and I'm literally went for the worst interview of my entire life. I literally went to Gavin Bickett's office. I said, uh, hey, uh, I'm just next to the door. And he goes, yeah, I don't know how you got this interview, but anyway, show me yourself. <laughs> and, and then, and then he, I show it to him and he flicks through it in about five seconds and I'm kind of going, like, wanting him to stop. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's really impressive stuff. What do you do exactly? He goes, it seems like you do everything. And I go, yeah, kind of, I do everything. Well, I do everything. And he goes, mm, yeah, okay, if we find something, we'll let you know. Ooh. And that was it. I was like, and I was like, I was just trying to mentally photograph everything in my head because all that, all the production designs everywhere. I walked out feeling so fucking dejected out of that office and I was like, and I was in on Fox lot, first time over there, first time in a film studio. I'm seeing the massive studios and I'm going. This must have been one of their first projects, was oh, it? Probably, yeah. 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 Like, this is like 99 yeah, maybe or something. Yeah, it was the late 90s thing yeah. that came up. And then, Mission um, Impossible, maybe one of Mission Impossible no, 2 I think might have been. Maybe that was after. I don't know. Was oh, it? Maybe it might be right. I don't know. But um, Anyways, no, you're right. It was after. No, but what happened, I actually, so I was walking and I was going past the massive studio one and I uh, saw the security gate and I'm going, and I'd booked a flight because I thought, <laughs> my presumptuous, I booked a flight for like 6 p.m. because I thought, me and Gavin are going to be best mates. We're going to probably have for dinner. We're going to even have <laughs> drinks. Who knows? And um, always going to allow. Five second like bloody interview. It was, it was so quick. And I was like, feeling, and as I was walking, I was just mentally trying to project everything and go, at least I got on this set and I saw some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I saw the security office and I saw Studio One and I went, you know what? Fuck this. So I turned straight into the studio right before I got to security. And I went straight into the, and I walked straight on the set of Moulin Rouge. And I literally went, holy shit. <laughs> and I went, uh, now I was in a suit and with this briefcase thing. So I literally grabbed the youngest, youngest, pimpliest kid I could. I said, hey, hey who's in charge here? Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name. I used to remember his name, this sculptor. How old are you at this point? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, my 30s, I oh, guess. Okay. Yeah, or 30, yeah, yeah. Early, early 30 or something. Right. Yeah, 30, I guess. Uh, and I, I literally grabbed the pimpliest kid I could, and I went, who's in charge? He goes, oh, that guy over there. And I went, okay. And I walked up to him. I wish I remember his name. I used to know. He's a really good sculptor. 
I said, hey, uh, Gavin Bouquet suggested I come down and show you my stuff. And he goes, really? Gavin Bouquet? So even he was impressed. So I literally opened my portfolio. He goes, oh, this is really good stuff. Yeah, this is great. And he goes, oh, you do miniatures as well. He goes, and props. You should go see Ty Tiger up in miniatures and props. I said, all right, I'll let you know. So literally, then, 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 I, then I, this guy, we exchanged details and so forth. I went up to miniatures and then went up, hey, um, Gavin Bouquet and blah, blah. I wish I could remember this other guy's name. Suggested I come see you. I, and he goes, oh, really? Gavin Bouquet? <laughs> and so I'm showing these guys, oh, this is really good stuff because I went to the appropriate sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, and I just did that all day. I stayed on the lot all day. So there was this quick lesson learned in the first oh, one to be specific about what I, I learned. I learned about networking. Yeah. I learned about it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. I thought a, 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 this, suit, this suit actually worked well for me because everyone thought I was a bit more powerful than what I was. I don't know. Yeah, they give you, some, give you the time of day. Some shit was going on, I don't know. But yeah. I spent the whole day there. I went to the lunch, the commissary or whatever they call it. And, you know, and I was uh, – I actually walked out going – I don't care what happens. <laughs> I had a really good day. I kicked ass in there. Yeah. And, um, and then um, so I got home and then uh, it was about, I think, a week, week later maybe, a week or two. I, I really can't remember. But I got a phone call and it was from the guy, my friend from ILM, uh, who basically uh, I booked the night uh, – who came to the nightclub and had a look at it. And he rang me and he goes, how would you like to be Australia's very first R2-D2 operator? I went – are uh, uh, you joking? <laughs> of course I would. <gasps> and then we were talking a little bit and he goes, you want to know how much you're going to get paid? And I went, you're going to pay me? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I, thought I was just saying yes no matter what. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. How much is it? Yeah. Um, so um, so we basically, it was, it was kind of went that way. And so basically I got the gig that way and I had to start like I think a couple of weeks later. But when I then suddenly, um, uh, then suddenly I started getting phone calls from the other people I'd seen to see if I could get a job there. Oh. And I started saying to them, oh, man, I'm already on, I'm already on the lot. Like, and they go, Oh, you're already here. Wait, what do you, what department are you in? I said, man, I'm doing droids. And they go, Oh, it's such a good department. Uh-huh. Cause it was so small. It was like, literally I was the only one building things. Like oh, that was wow. me, my boss, a guy did all the remote control stuff to all the electronics. And then like a secretary, oh, no, she's kind of like a coordinator. That was it. So it was like such a small department. I got like access to everything. You know, I was, we're making droids, making shit up. I was working with Anthony Daniels, became really good friends with you know, Anthony who plays C-3PO. And God, it was just, so I decided to put him in a short film I was making. So he, and he did it. I shot him green screen and just comped him into it. Um, man, it was awesome. It was just like brilliant job. Anyway, tangenting <laughs> real quick and real bad. Worst interview ever, ever. Now, I don't know when they made the bank job with Jason Statham. Um, no, that but was, it was sort shot, of mid-2000s. It, maybe, it? yeah. But it was shot in um, England. Yeah. Someone where he tunnels. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so that was shot in England, but then um, they hadn't shot this other sequence that was meant to be in the Caribbean. So, and they're running out of money and all this sort of stuff. Roger Donaldson, great director. And um, I don't know how this sort of, oh, my friend ended up producing this part. So they had to shoot a little bit more of it. So we're going to shoot it here in Australia because of tax stuff and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And my friend said, do you want to be the art director for us? <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? And, um, <laughs> So I art directed and also did the effects because we had to make a dead body of this girl for the film and everything. And uh, But none of the English crew were coming out. I was just dealing with the production designer. He never really – I didn't really look at the name or anything because it was just like he had just like initials or something. And I was working with him for a few weeks kind of just back and forth with emails and designs and, I was, and he was really happy with what we were doing. And then I went, hey, what, what, who is this guy? And it was um, – Gavin Bouquet, who I'd had the worst interview ever with, and he was a production designer. And I went, oh, my God. Oh. I went, Kevin, I went, I just realised you're who you are. <laughs> and I had the worst interview ever with you. And he goes, I remember that interview, Justin. You've come a long way. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he was so happy with what we did. So I was like very, and again, That's one of those, right. I always feel like I had these little meetings with people or these 
things with people that somehow always just come back around. I don't yeah. know. You and, know? And, and there's there's so much um, value in that uh, knowledge of, of that because you just don't mm. know when it's going to come around and what the impression was. And, and if it was a bad one, how to handle it in order to overturn it and make yeah. the most out of it as well. And obviously the proof was in the pudding of what your work was too, right? That it wasn't <laughs> that you were this guy who managed to talk himself into an interview that didn't have the goods. Yeah. Because that yeah. would have been the worst <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that, that is the worst thing ever. Like yeah. you can, there is that whole thing, fake it till you make it. But yeah, it sort of, out. it does, you, you can get, you can string that along for a little while. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, it, I thought that the moment I stepped on, I, when I was making my first movie, I kind of went, oh, you know, I've never made one before, but I've been on a bunch of film sets and I watched everyone else do it. I always knew what I would do differently. Yeah. So I started keeping notes of what I would do differently. And, you know, sometimes I would speak up, sometimes I wouldn't. Depends on if I knew the director and all mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And, like sometimes I quickly do storyboards and go, how about if we do this instead? And they go, oh, that's actually really good. So I'd go right, 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 right. kind of like, I knew where to not step on toes and where to, you know, because I always say that a director's brain is like a filing cabinet because I've seen it before where, um, they're, it's a filing cabinet that's full as well. Mm-hmm. And if you come up to them and suggest something, they'll give you the thousand mile stare and stare straight through you. And they're not listening. They're listening, but they're not they're listening. Not listening. Yeah. So they will file that idea in the filing cabinet. And if they get to it, they'll never get to it because the schedule's on their back. It's relentless. Da, 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 da. There's so many things that I literally knew when and when not to speak up. And sometimes I would, whether I'd, especially if I was doing effects on a film for someone, whether I'd take the reins a little bit and say, well, you need to shoot it from this way, otherwise the effect won't work. Or you need to do it this way. Da, da, da. So right. It's kind of like if you don't do it this way, well, everything we've done is just redundant. You know? And then, so t- then talk to me about uh, Riverdale. I mm. mean, that's, is that, that's got to be sort of one of your, your highlights for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's been really, really cool. I still don't even know what's going to happen going forward. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, people tell you stuff like they've, they kind of told me that I'd be back at some point, but who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm in Australia now and I don't have a work permit over there anymore. Right. So they would have to get me a work permit. So yeah, they'd have to be like really keen on my character being back in the storyline. And tell me about so your character. Yeah. Tell who me knows? about your character then. Um, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting guy. Yeah. His name's Elio yeah. Grande. Elio Grande. Yeah. He didn't have a last name <laughs> for a few episodes and then, and then all of a sudden I got a script and it was like Elio Grande. And then, yeah, it's interesting how like when you're working on a TV scripts and then you, you're this kind of bit part character mm-hmm. and as you go along, you kind of, you have to be open to like more stuff is, is you're going to find out more about your character as it goes along. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden he was like, when I was first introduced in season two, end of season two, he was like the son of a mob family. So if you, I don't know if you guys watch Riverdale. I haven't personally. Yeah. No. Well, Veronica on the show, her family is like kind of part of the mob. Right. So there's all these interesting storylines with like her family and her dad, especially. And, um, and so then, yeah, my character came in and was kind of offering her a business deal and she didn't go for it. Uh, but it was kind of like, I guess it was like a little bit of an introduction to this possible character. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen if, you know, I did this one episode. I was like, yeah, great, cool. I was so pumped when I got that. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah. And then they gave me a call up, asked me back for season three. Um, and I think at the beginning it was like one, like one episode with possibly a couple more. 
And at this point, he now has his own casino. So the original business offer was like to go into business and have a casino together. And then it became, yeah, like, uh, he, cause he, she didn't go for it. He's got his own casino now. It's doing really well, but she needed his help. And then, so like back into the fray a little like yeah she needed help getting into this thing so and he's got mob connections so he was able to help her out and then later on they they just kept kind of asking me back and, and it kind of just went episode by episode um but yeah the the next time she needed his help she needed to raise some money so she wanted to run a casino night with elio's help so then i helped her run this thing at her bar. She owns a bar. She's 16, <laughs> has her own bar. Um, totally normal. How old's your character? I don't know. You're right. You just never no, touched on n- it. No one knows. <laughs> yeah, I've, sort of- I've asked people. Right. <laughs> and they've been like, we don't know, like 19, oh, that's 20. Like, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, it's different I mean, over there, dude. You have a younger look about you too. So yeah, if I'm clean shaven yeah, as well, I, mean, I look I like a baby. I had no idea. Like when I looked at your Instagram, I was like, oh yeah, like- I mean, I could totally see you on ambiguous and that. Yeah. So, so you're a bit villainous. Like is your character? Yeah. Bit- well then in that casino episode, then my character tries to swindle her out of her money and kind of like rig, rig it. It was great. It was so much fun. It was like, I, yeah, they, they really like to borrow from classic films and stuff. So it was oh, very much casino Royale. So I watched that movie. Ah. I watched that movie and it was a good reference point. Cause it was very like, you know, like poker face. Right. But I kind of just wanted to enjoy it and he's a bit younger and arrogant. So mm-hmm. a lot of kind of, you know, smiling assassin kind okay, of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then she finds out that he's going to swindle her for the money. So then she rigs it. And <laughs> so you guys are basically too- we end up like going all in on blackjack and, I hit a 20, she hits a 19 and I'm like, see, you shouldn't have, you know, this, this is going to be my business soon, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, oh, really hit me. And I'm like, what? And then boom, hits a two. Jesus Christ. It's like, come on, mate. As if. Yeah. Classic. Um, Yeah. And then I just proceeded to become more and more of an asshole each episode after that, (laughs) which is so much fun. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, It's a lot of fun to play. Yeah. And so all up, how, how many episodes did you do? Um, now eight. Right. Yeah. And that's, are they all aired? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Very right. So, so season four just came out like, I think last week it just mm-hmm. aired. Um, and so they're, I think they're shooting like episode nine or 10 at the moment. Right. So it's 22 episode season. Ah, okay. So who knows? Who knows? I, you, I just keep trying to let it go and not think about it because- you know, you know, like when they tell you, oh, we'll have you back. You'll be back on the yeah, show. Yeah, It's like, eh, I'll- I'll sit, believe when I see it. I'll believe it when I'm- There. Opposite Archie. Yeah. <laughs> so, how does that wind out for you then? Like, th- did you know when your last episode was going to be and how close to that was was that when you came back? I didn't know. Right. Um, yeah. If I had my time again, I would have definitely done this year a bit differently mm-hmm. because I ended up hanging out in Vancouver for a little while longer because they got me a work permit for sort of up until the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I then went to LA for a month and I think basically was just <clears throat> living off of kind of 
you know, money from those episodes I'd done mm-hmm. and was, I wasn't able to do other work. And normally I work as a fitness instructor. So it's kind of- Because your O1 is specific to- Well, Canada, it's not O1. No, it's, that's right. It's, it's just, just work visa. Well, the one I had was a open work permit and then they get you a, a work permit just to work on their show. Okay. So you can't do other stuff. Right. Yeah. So- That's interesting. Kind of makes it tricky Yeah. when like- yeah, if I had my time again, I think I would have just like done the episodes, gone to LA for a couple of weeks, and then come back and cashed then, up and just keep working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just it. Yeah, it's not necessarily about being cashed up. Just like I don't know, you got to be smart, you know, when you're doing creative stuff because mm-hmm. you just don't know when it's gonna. Yeah, when you're gonna have a bit of a hiatus or. Yeah, up. exactly. Yeah. So you just like you can't be like just hoping, hoping, hoping you're going to get work. You need to be working and then, you know, like balancing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Important to be supporting yourself. Yeah. When I, um, when I first got into acting and I was just going through, you know, a bunch of YouTube videos on, um, you know, advice from the greats and all that kind of stuff. One of the ones that came- Inside the actor's studio interviews. Yeah. I mean, I've watched as many of those- The rabbit hole. As I can, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they're so good. They're great. They're great. Yeah. And Tom Hanks has always been one of, you know, those guys who has just so many pearls of wisdom, but mm. was actually one of the British versions of sort of the inside the actor's studio. Then they do a lot of interviews. Mm. And, and he said, one of my biggest pieces of advice is just, just make sure you've got a little bit of cash to ride out those- Mm-hmm. desperate times so that you can survive the marathon that acting is mm-hmm. you know because it's not a sprint and you, yeah. you really that's that's i always had just something it can something. be a bit of a head fuck because also yeah. like you, you yeah if you get something good people assume that you're rolling in it mm-hmm. yeah 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 and you're 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 set yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like and some mates some mates showed me the other day some article online estimates my net worth at like one to five million which is a big gap <laughs> like one to five million right that's just but huge it's gap. also yeah. not, not true, true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so i don't know where they're getting their fears but it is a bit of the you know the, that that speculation and then and then of course you're not and then yeah yeah and then yeah so what else did you do? I, you were on Arrow as well. You did a little spot on Arrow, is that yeah, right? I, I just did a day on yeah. Arrow. But it was a pretty cool week because when I auditioned for Arrow, like I, I found out I booked it the next day. And then the next, wow. the day after that, I auditioned for Riverdale. Oh, it's okay. It's the same, same casting director. Okay, great. Yeah. So, so you had that presence in run. the room. Yeah. Yeah. That audition for Arrow, I don't know. Like I was just, <laughs> things were kind of... I don't know, feeling, I think I was backing myself mm-hmm. a lot more and caring, caring less in a good way. Like as yes. in, as in I just went in and it was like this scene where, you know, the, it, it's a walk and talk with this other cop and then the lights kind of go out and then they shit themselves and one guy flies off kind of thing. And it's like, where do you go? And then he's like, get, come out motherfucker or whatever. I, I don't think he swears. I can't, I, can't, I can't remember the line, but it was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like shitting himself and 
pretty heightened really um and a lot of auditions you know they they vary quite a bit but a lot of the time those smaller roles it's not necessarily like super heightened it's more kind of conversational or whatever so i was just like screw it i'm just gonna go for it Mm -hmm. and just go with whatever's you know i get super nervous in auditions but i'm like just use that energy yeah and did one take and they were like it was great i was like cool sweet okay and then um, it's a weird feeling when they go yeah good okay see you and you're like is yeah. that good or that's oh, don't waste the time no yeah. I just trust him I'm just like no worries <laughs> well you're not going to argue with him are you no I really think I need another one then you botch it and they're like ooh I don't know if we like that guy anymore <laughs> <laughs> no I don't mind like I just I think if if you're an actor if you want another take and it's an audition sure don't go for like three or four but like if you want another one be Squeeze confident it. in that, making that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't make the like, oh, I think I could be better. I think I could be better. Don't try and convince him. But like, <laughs> but like, yeah. And Forever so then, apologize. And then the way it worked, it was really weird, but um, we were meant to shoot Riverdale first and uh, it was like on the Friday and then I had Arrow the coming Tuesday. And then what happened was in Vancouver, and this happens pretty rarely, but it snowed pretty heavily. And right. you know, it snows, but not that often. No, because it's then, quite moist in, in Vancouver. Very moist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I used to live in Banff, oh, which, yeah, yeah. which is, you know, crazy moist. town cold. No, colder. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's minus 40, 47 in the, in the winter. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Vancouver's milder like than that. that. Yeah. yeah. But it is cold. It's colder than Australia. Mm. Um, but basically, yeah, it snowed pretty heavy. And then, but like- me and the other guys that were kind of in that day, the actors, we were already on set and getting hair and makeup and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the crew was coming in. I think some of the crew were coming in after the director was. And then they had, I think, a, an accident, car accident. Oh, fuck. <clears throat> yeah. Like, and then people couldn't get in and out anyway. So, yeah, Camila Mendes, who plays Veronica, ended up just giving us a tour of the set. And we didn't work that day. Cool. So that was my first day on Riverdale. Yeah, right. It's pretty sweet. And I may have spoken to you about this before, but I, I have this little loop that I go on where I'm not a regretful person at all. Like I just, I don't believe it serves you in any way at all, other than just to maybe not make that mistake twice. Um, but because, you know, my first acting class is with you at 32 coming on 33 and having wanted to do it since I was six. And I'm like, motherfucker, you know, like, you know, if I'm down on myself or whatever, I'm having, you know, I haven't slept well or I haven't exercised for a couple of days or maybe I've got a big hangover and I'm questioning the the biz and the industry. That's my first go-to is, God, you know, you've, if you had been doing this for 20 years already, then maybe you would this, this is that and the other. And I'm like, yeah, but maybe you'd be a total cunt. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Oh, totally. And maybe you wouldn't have your beautiful wife and your beautiful daughter and and you'd be depressed and a fucking junkie, you know? You are yeah. who you are. You are the sum of your experiences. Now just get to work and use it. Yeah. I know you need to be philosophical about it. I mean, I look back on some early opportunities that I had that I came really close to. I mean, I got really close to Lord of the Rings back mm. in the day um, before, just after uh, McLeod's and came down to the last couple for, for a big role. I think David Wenham got it 
for Faramir. Oh, right. And, yeah, and it was met Peter Jackson and had a, a big second call back with him and his wife, Fran. Oh, wow. And and all that. And, and I look back on that and I, I would have presented at that moment in time in such an arrogant way, which in my mind I wasn't. I was working with Bell Shakespeare. I was touring Australia doing amazing um plays with Bell Shakespeare and was getting plenty of uh, TV TV work. It was just before, just before McLeod. No, it was just after McLeod's, just after. And then suddenly um, he asks me the question in the room, what do you think of the books? And I went, oh, well, I haven't read the books, but um, if I got the gig, I'd absolutely <laughs> do my due diligence. And I watched his face just go, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> Like in that one moment, he just put a red pen through my name. <laughs> and it was a simple mistake to make. For me, it was just the logic. It was, it was an honest question, an honest answer. I hadn't read the books. But the point being is if I had got that role at that point in time, I don't know what sort of human being I would have turned out to be. Because you would have been, well, like you said before, but in a different way, vindicated in your the way you were at that time. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Didn't need to read the books. Fucking smashed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe. Or, or maybe maybe I just would have gone off and, and, you know, had a superstar moment in my career and made a lot of money and without any humility right, right, or right. any appreciation for how hard you need to work or uh, without enough empathy for for other people in the community around me. I mean, all those sort of broader human qualities that are really important for your own sort of mental health, if, if anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, man. I, who knows? I, you don't know, but I don't think I was ready for it. I don't right. think I was yeah. quite emotionally ready for that sort of responsibility. It's, it's a big one because, because, I mean, even at, even at my, like I, I had an audition, my only really big, big audition to date for the Langdon series. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? No, uh, not really. So do you watch, no. do you, um, Robert Langdon from like Da Vinci Code and, and Angels and Demons. So the, the writer director of The Boys, which is a really great show on, on Amazon, um, has teamed up with Ron Howard and they're doing a series about Langdon in his younger years. And I got an audition to play Langdon. And I was like, even if somehow I made it to that conversation, there's no fucking way I could, I could step into the, to the front line of what's probably going to be four seasons at my level. I'd fucking implode. You know, like I, 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 I'd still say yes and give it a go and then probably hope that they sacked me, you know, like it would be so heavy. I, I was listening yeah. to um, Javier Bardem in a, in a really great interview the other day and he was saying he was offered, uh, I want to say it's Colin Farrell's part in Minority Report and he had just done his first English-speaking film and it was successful and he had a sit-down with Steven Spielberg and he said, no way, man. There's no way I can do it. I, I, I'm just getting my head around speaking a little bit of English and you want me to step into the hot seat with Tom Cruise and you in a major – nah. I would just be peaking the whole time and said no. And I was like, wow, that's that's a that's a bold move. Yeah. And that's knowing yourself too, right? 
Oh, totally. Confidence is a funny thing. You know, confidence breeds confidence and, and opportunities. And at that top level, in any field, in any field, you if you want to be, uh, you know, in the 98th percentile, you got to have a lot of self-belief. And you look at a lot of the actors, a lot of the, um, the A-listers that are out there, they're, they're alphas, you know. They're very... Mm-hmm. I mean, even athletes. I've been watching the series, um, The Last Dance, How you know, about it? the Bulls. How it's amazing. It? Yeah, but it's just different people with with different genetic dispositions. I mean, Michael Jordan and his commitment and his work ethic and his competitiveness and his just on a different level. Mm, mm. Just that discipline. I mean, in, in whatever you do, even the knockbacks, the the hardship. All those sorts of things. It takes a pretty exceptional person to have to sort of have that sort of success, right? Even if you're doing acting, yeah, at that level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. That, that's a, he's a really interesting one because from the outside, you know, you can see obviously that there's like he wasn't the tallest guy out there, you know, like um, and obviously everyone says you know he's a freak and and what have you. He is that too, but he couldn't only just be that one thing it was a massive combination of 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 not only a genetic legacy but a premeditated approach to how he was going to be the best um and kelly slater is is no different you know Mm. like it's he's he's freakishly flexible and he's freakishly you know intuitive with the ocean what have you but he's a fucking mastermind out and out in the lineup in Mm. you know in just getting people off their game and it's a whole thing for him yeah Yeah. I mean it's what you're prepared to do for that success and there are things that I was never prepared to do I was never prepared to live in LA and work as a waiter for eight years until I got my my citizenship I mean I wasn't prepared to sort of hustle away for most of for a big part of my life at the expense of having a conventional lifestyle you know so you got to work out what you want what you're prepared to do yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating documentary. I've, um, I'm sad when I got to the end of it. Same. And because you know, I don't know if you were a basketball fan back in the day or played basketball, but I was obsessed with Michael Jordan, and um, there was no access back then. There was no. I mean, the internet had only just come in, but you weren't watching the games or anything and they never played the games. Foxtel hadn't come online yet. And so I just sort of knew about him through basketball cards and the odd magazine. So to come back and watch like my childhood hero in such detail, I was, it was amazing. Yeah. And what I, what stood out to me was the fact that he had all that success and attention um, globally before the internet, right? Before Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and the whole bit. So he his whole brand was built on his abilities as a basketball player and that alone. Mm-hmm. And there's a purity to that. I really like that idea. Now, you know, it's also, it's all, there's so much cross-pollination, you know, most people in this business now have to self-promote and stay connected with their fan bases and you've got production companies and distribution companies that are, you know, um, casting people because of their reach and because of their social media profiles and you've got this whole celebrity um 
conundrum as well where you've got people who are famous getting roles you know this whole um, reality TV thing so oh yeah it's it's so different it's so different now than it was um I reckon this is probably a, a good spot to to segue because you've sure. got probably about halfway half an hour left so the reason not the reason the only reason you're here but the one of the reasons why Anthony put us together and we chatted about this off camera so for those of you listening I'm not about to spring a film on Scottness here <laughs> but about 18 months ago I started writing a film um, about an anti-poaching unit in South Africa in the Kruger National Park. I was discussing it with a, a colleague of mine who was in Afghanistan and he was going to go to Africa to become an anti-poacher. And just at that time there was a lot of money in it through the South African government and then um, a few things happened like um, Obama banning the importation of trophies, so a lot of money dried up in the parks, and so that pay was decimated. Um, so he decided to come home, become a real estate agent. But uh, we were talking about it. I said, that's an interesting film there. Um, and then as I dug a little deeper, I found out that they could directly correlate the the like thousand percent increase in rhino deaths from like 72 a year to about 1100 in 2007 2008 oh, I might have been Did 2010. you say 70 a year to about 1100 yes wow yeah to a Vietnamese um, politician who claimed that he'd cured his cancer with rhino horn wow. just like that they went from um, you know let's just say a hundred dollars a gram or whatever it is, or a hundred dollars a horn, it's more than that, but it wasn't a lot, to sixty-five thousand dollars. Right. Like and bang, just like that has been a fucking bloodbath out there ever since. And I sort of thought, well, that I mean, I'd heard about anti-poaching units who now have a license to shoot and kill and arrest and detain and interrogate. Um oh, there's a film there. So Yesterday, Anthony and I put together a pitch deck and he said, well, I know a filmmaker in South Africa who may or may not, this may or may not be his brand, but I can connect you to. Sure. We're connected now. What's I up? have this pitch deck here. Oh, well, look at this. Okay. <laughs> so this, so, and, and the, I did explain this to you before, but this is the first time this has happened on the podcast where there's a, there's, there's, an objective along with the conversation to potentially down the road work together. It's a sure. big part of the podcast and it's what I really hope for a number of people who come on here that producers are listening or directors are listening and go, geez, that script that that guy or girl was talking about and it just scrolls up is really, really great. Okay, so I'll read the, is this the log line? Yeah. In order to save her family from extinction, a South African ranger must recruit the help of a wayward soldier, but the cost of victory is high and innocent lives are lost. Lookbook is dope. Uh, treatment. You don't have to read out the whole yeah, treatment. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Might want to bore everyone to tears, but... <laughs> so, um, I'll give you five to... Sure. I'm just, I'm just having a quick look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's interesting. It's interesting, Josh. What's your, you know, what's your takeout in, in, in wanting to make this project? You know, what is it that you, that you ultimately want to achieve right. or say? Yeah. The, 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 one of the things that I found in my research um, is it's, it's twofold. The sure. ultimate objective is obviously is to 
is to shine a light on what's happening because a lot of people don't realize just how fucking bad it is. You know, they know that, that rhinos are always, you know, had a sort of very tenuous balance and what have you and, and anything great like that, 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 um, Poaching exists and hunting exists, but no one realizes that if nothing happens, if they don't stop this within eight years, they'll be gone mm. completely. Um, and what happens is, is if you jump online, you will see a shit ton of graphic material and a couple of great documentaries. And there's, there's lots of campaigns, but it's hard hitting, which it should be, but often documentaries preach to the converted. You know what I mean? Like um, my my wife is a vegan and a massive animal lover. There's no way she's going to watch that documentary because it's just too hard. Mm. And it's not in people's purview. And there isn't a film at all. There had been talk about films, but that has been made that that is talking about this particular issue right now. With the what I would like to do is to dress it up and wrap it with all that cinematic. Um, magic, right? So there's a love story involved, and the the, the um, Thomas, the character, uh, the the soldier who who comes over to Africa, um, rescues a baby rhino, and they form a bond, and that's what compels him to stay. And then he gets entrenched in the unit, and ultimately he becomes a really integral part. But it's Rian, who's a mixed race South African woman, who becomes the leader of that that um, anti poaching unit, and and they end up taking the fight to Vietnam off the books. And that's originally where the film started. I said, why doesn't someone just go and take this dude out, you know, who's propagating all of this this nonsense? So the, the ultimate objective is the people that, that that the masses go and see a great film and they are educated about this thing whilst seeing it. Not because you can get more people to see a dramatic action film than you can a documentary. Right. And hopefully through collective consciousness if the film's a real success. Even the people in Asia who aren't a part of, you know, wanting rhinos horns as, as you know, something to get their dick hard or, or deal with a hangover or fucking a trophy are going, well, this ain't right, you right. know. Years ago there was a book written called The Twelve, the 100th Monkey Syndrome. It was in the 80s mm-hmm. and it was about um, – the, the objective of the book was to try and stop nuclear war between Russia and America. Right. And they were working on the basis of collective consciousness. And they derived that science from an island somewhere. I right. forget where it was. Where And this is very quick. Cool. Um, there was an island full of monkeys, no human influence or what have you. And uh, they uh, re- were researching them and watching them and they found out they observed them open up a new kind of nut or something like that or a fruit through means of dropping it from a great height. Sure. Then they had started observing the same um, fruit or whatever happening all around the world with no exposure to these monkeys at all. And then they sort of linked that and said, well, there must be this thing that people have suspected for, for a long time, that if enough minds are thinking about something at the same time, it will influence the people around you. And I think they would call it noetic science now as a very loose term. But that's the idea. If, if, if enough people can see this in, in a way that is palatable, um, uh, palatable for them, we can change this. Uh-huh. Um, and so then to try and get this film as someone who's a first-time writer and wants to play Thomas, the the character that you saw, it it needs to be... um, I spoke to a friend of mine who's a filmmaker. She was on the 
podcast and I, and I gave her the original script. And she said, the last thing the world needs is another white person trying to, sa- say. <laughs> trying to save Africa, right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. That's been running through. I was like, shit, how am I going to, because this is exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why um, originally Thomas was the lead and we, we, we swung that around to make him support yep. uh, as just as, as a go-to for support. Uh, but it is a re- very real thing that's happening there where ex-vets are coming over yeah. and just giving their time and their energies and, and risking their lives to try and change this thing. It, it, it needs to be an all-in effort to stop this. Um, but, yeah, so she's that, that's the last thing that the world needs. So this film needs to be made by Africans in Africa. Um, I just – I always said that when I became a professional artist that my objective – was to ultimately somehow do something good. Yeah. My mother has lived and worked in East Timor for the last 15 years, um, basically re-educating um, and nourishing all the mal- mal- malnourished children and their families. Mm-hmm. And she's done it hard and she's been through, you know, sort of domestic war there mm. and the whole bit. And she was awarded the the uh, Medal of Honour of Australia wow. for wow. – it's not called Medal of Honour, but it's something like that. The right. order. Order of Australia. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So I have a great, like, and I've been out there to document some of what she's done. And and, and that was my first, actually my first photographic job wow. was to go out to East Timor and, and photograph what she was doing. Wow. I said, I'm not a people guy like that. I'm an animal guy. I always known that. And mm. I would love to be able to do something to help. Well, look, I think there are a couple of things to be said, um, Josh. First off, you know, I've been reading a lot about how, as a species, humanity has decimated mm. across the planet large mammals. Yeah. Hectically, mm. right? And the more people you have, the more of your large mammals are, are made extinct. Yeah, and know. it's gone worse, worse since COVID. Oh, has it? Oh, it's I crazy out there oh, now. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So that's the first thing, right? Yeah. The second thing is the identity of Africans to the rhino specifically. I mean, you might not be aware, but a lot of African families identify and use as totem different species of animal to kind of talk about what their, their heritage or their lineage might be. Uh, right. So you might have, the, there's a great Olympic um, long jumper from South Africa. And his name escapes me right now. Um, but Mukwena is his name. And Mukwena means uh, crocodile. Right. And so there were memes that came out when he, I think he won bronze or silver at one of the Olympics when he won. Uh, there were memes coming out about him jumping over crocodile. Um, open mouths, right? Because that's how he does. <laughs> uh, but the rhino specifically is very powerful in in this in this identification for Africans in the post uh, in the pre in the pre or the post Iron Age, the Bronze Age, in Sub-Saharan Africa was a kingdom called the Great Kingdom of Mapungubwe. In the Great Kingdom of Mapungubwe was massive trade between, well, evidence of massive trade between East Asia and Southern Africa mm-hmm. that predates, it was part of um, when uh, the, the Chinese emperor was bringing ships oh, across. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so you find... Uh, like old bracelets, Chinese bracelets, Chinese porcelain, um, gold statuettes, you know, evidence in the kingdom of, you know, how the royalty was buried and so forth. 
Um, that they've tried very hard to to, to bury that evidence here that it happened. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's Aboriginal oh, caves yep. full of paintings yep. of Chinese people. And, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and it predates, of course, European mm. uh, expansion. Totally. And colonialism. It's like 1081, so yep, in there. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wow, so interesting. Uh, but amongst those artifacts found, by the way, this place in Mapungubwe was hidden for like... 200, 300, I don't know how many hundred years. Wow. Um, and the only reason, so how it was hidden was that locals in the area believed that it was um, haunted, right? Okay, right. And the only way to get up to Mapungubwe, which is like on, there's a plateau on, you know, above a, a valley um, and a really steep incline to get mm-hmm. up. And you can only get up there by, you know, a route that is very precarious. Right. And for a long time, a tree had been deliberately, a large tree had been deliberately placed over this route uh, in order to prevent people getting up there. <laughs> and as a result of some deaths, you know, of when this um, kingdom um, was like decimated, mm-hmm. for some reason we don't know, uh, people have always believed that it's haunted. Anyway. So finally they find, this is a long run. No, this is great. This is great. Man, this is awesome. So finally they find- uh, There's a film there too. Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, Finally, in the the turn of the the, the last century, a couple of uh, professors from my alma mater, Witz University, um, heard about this local legend and they were like, yo, let's go and check out what's going on. They happen to be be white, but that's a different story. Um, And they took some local- um, tribesperson and he showed them you know what was at the top they convinced mm. him with some money and when they got up there they found these ancient Chinese artifacts the local artifacts they found masses and masses of gold because obviously South Africa massive gold mm-hmm. and a golden rhino right statuette now this golden rhino has become you're talking about your mother who won the Order of Australia the Golden Rhino. I think it's the Order of the Golden Rhino. Oh, okay. Or the Order of Mapungubwe right. is the highest um, level that a civilian can achieve in <clears> South Africa. <throat> okay, long story short, I think there's a lot of potential in this film project. Um, I think the content is there. I think absolutely your friend is 100% correct. We are no longer as Africans wanting to allow ourselves to be perceived as needing help. Mm-hmm. We are completely empowered. Right. We have got complete agency and we have got the skill and know-how um, and the attitude to speak about our own stories and mm-hmm. we're taking that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having said that though, of course, there is absolute power in collaboration. So I think, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm interested in. Great. Let's make something. <laughs> yeah. <'cause- laughs> um, and um, so anyway, so I hooked them up, Nick and uh, this, this other director friend. And then we literally through all the different connections, there's seven of us now that have sort of come together. We've got writers, producers, directors, and we've started this collective called set apart. Um, set apart pictures. Set up. Uh, set apart dot pictures is their website. Um, we've got a really good bunch of the collective work we've done to date. You know, as as our own individuals and working mm-hmm. on projects is pretty impressive. Um, and then we've we basically got a bunch of our own projects which we've concepted, scripted, and then we've sort of working almost like an incubator for some other projects that have come in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got about sort of 10 or 15 projects on our slate and we've just this last meeting, getting back to what you were just asking. Um, when you were out there last year. Was, was, yeah. was basically going out and having a bunch of meetings with different agencies and um, different networks and um, pitching them on some of these. Pitching them, you know, which is a really interesting experience yeah. being in the room. In Who's some doing of these. the pitching? 
all of like there was four of us on wow. the ground there. Um, so four of us went in the room and um, what was that like? Was it? I mean, were they inviting bit, or was it, was it pretty cutthroat? Um, because of the contacts that that the groups got, they were all. Most of them were pretty, you know, pretty warm okay, great. contacts. So you're not, you know, which is great. You're not sort of some of these companies getting in, you're not um, knocking on the front door and asking to speak to the reception, the assistant <laughs> yeah, yeah, to the receptionist. Yeah. Unannounced. You know, yeah. and, and you're just having no respect. So we were in there meeting, you know, with, you know, vice presidents of companies and, mm-hmm. you know, really higher level people that actually can make, make effective decisions. decisions. I have a um, quick question about that because I've always wondered about this as I fantasize about making my own film. Are you guys, how are you dressed in that meeting when you go in to meet one of these guys? Cause they're all going to be in suits, right? Yeah. They're generally in suits. Um, it's funny with that too. Like uh, um, we did actually speak about that because you don't, we're not suit type people. Right. But you don't want to be disrespectful either. You don't want to be disrespectful. So we still went in with shirt, you know, had a shirt on, but mm-hmm. you know, you still, if you're a bit funky or whatever you want to do, let your brand do that, but you're not turning out. up in a T you're not turning up like you're disrespectful. And it is one of those things because I mean, Hey, we need every little bit of, you know, coercion that we can to do it. So you're trying to look, uh, you know, as hip and cool and, and, and make an effort as you can, but that you haven't made an effort and yeah, that it's yeah, just yeah. effortlessly that, sweet that sort of, you know, yeah, that sort yeah. of person. Um, and Sorry to, uh, to throw that question in as a curveball. No, it's just because I've turned up today with a skull T-shirt. You're thinking I don't make too much no, of an no, effort. No, 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 It's every other time you've turned yeah, that's up. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's just a slob. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, so that so that's, uh, you know, that certainly um, is, is the case, I, you know, I believe. And then... I my background is is uh, sort of advertising design um, and web that's and social sort of stuff. So I've created a lot of the pitch decks and and all that sort of stuff and and made a um, a bit of a visual you know digital versions mm-hmm. and stuff that we could display in pretty much every room we went into bar one or two. You know had the big screens in in the room and um, we were able to sort of throw the stuff up there and then as the, as we're talking through the different projects I'm being up the pitch documents and you might if you were the other team member they're chatting through the different things and I'm sort of like oh they're talking about that I'll flick back and through yeah line it up line it up so that they're getting visuals and it was mm-hmm. actually really interesting to see because they're kind of like you know they'd be chatting to the person there and something and they're like yep 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 okay. And then, and you could hear this, they're receiving that and they're looking, they're like, right. And they were really getting that That's double visuals great, and, great. um, you know, and, and look, we really, we got, look, they say the things they, they say, you don't have a bad meeting in LA. <clears throat> You don't know whether you've had a bad meeting. You're oh, like, right. that meeting was great. Yeah. And then you never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. So obviously it wasn't good, but you went out feeling awesome. But look, I think, I think we, we did. We did pretty well um, with all the meetings, and again, it's hard to know. So now it's this sort of follow-up game. But we got really good feedback um, about the team, what we'd done, um, and about the material. The, the in terms of the actual projects, that mm-hmm. really sort of ex- excited about you know, the concepts and then loved the visuals. We got really good feedback on all the stuff that I'd done. They were actually saying, who's doing these? Great. One of them said, who's doing 
this artwork and that, and, you know, so, you know, that's, that's me, everyone. That's me. <laughs> if you need any done. My yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my card. It's my yeah, card. It's yeah. my card. Um, don't worry about making these films, but I can really design <laughs> yeah, the next. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so that was good. So we, we, we basically, um, you know, we, we, we pitched pretty hard in there and it, it's, you know, we, we always ran out of time pitching more and you had to sort of see, you know, somewhere a bit more, they'd be a bit more episodic based. So we, mm-hmm. we'd put those in somewhere. They call it non-scripted, which is your sort of documentary reality Right. Type shows and then you're scripted, which is your you know fictional or mm-hmm. you know based on true story narratives type stories. Yep. So we would see what they were after, and then we would um, we'd sort of sort of pitch accordingly, or and and we'd have we started getting better in terms of jumping in on each other and you know keeping that sort of energy and that mm-hmm. freshness and not get rabbiting on too long. And but there was odd times in there as well. Like uh, one time, one of the guys threw one of the one of the other projects. At me to pitch, and I, and I remember starting to talk about it, and and it's this one's more of a short form episodic, so it doesn't in terms of it doesn't actually have a beginning, middle, and end in terms of describing that. So I'm in there, and I'm sort of pitching, and I, as and I just that was fine, but I just got about a minute in or two minutes in, I'm just thinking, what what are you fucking talking about? Oh, just no. you, you know, so I'm you super quickly aware. wrap it up, and then you sort of give someone else the eye, and then they'll jump in and save you because it's just sometimes you have a bit of a brain fart. But, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, look, and geez, some of these places that we went to, this god, the size of the rooms, you know, one had this. I would say different names of it. Um, the places we went, but this was just off Rodeo Drive, and they had this marble. Um, the conference room table. And I swear this thing was, it would have had to have been 10 metres long and Jesus. two or three metres wide. And Five I think ton. it was one piece of marble. I don't wow. know. It was, they would have had to build this room around this thing that was just crazy. And it was so long. And I had that, this, that funny thought in my head of if you were pitching like almost like a short video, um, a short film, and you'd see these people pitching and then the two or one person or whatever's that's listening to them, depending how you're going as it cuts back and forward, they either move further away. <laughs> <laughs> As it all, they're coming closer, depending how cold, you're pitching. Cold, cold, but, hot, 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 hot. But it is, but it is certainly. Uh, it's. I've done a lot of business. I've you know been in business for years, so I'm I, I'm quite comfortable in uh, you know in the room in, in the room and mm. talking the talk in terms of that. But in in terms of a lot of understanding what's needed in these sort of pitches and what's interested in that was very new to me. So it was, right. but it was super interesting and. It was really yeah, exciting and, and uh, you know, you've sort of, it was, you'd sort of come out on a real high from it, you know, and obviously now. Fuck um, yeah, just the opportunity to, 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 to have that conversation. To get in and, yeah. you know, one, one place we went in, you know, these two guys that obviously had a hard day and, and they were exhausted and right. they came in and, and they were pretty like, oh, guys, yeah, and it was just like, oh, here we go, this is going to be mm. terrible. And a couple of minutes in they were leaning forward, you know, I was looking at their body language and, mm-hmm. and they were asking questions and I thought, that's real interest because if it wasn't real interest, they would yeah, not have made an effort, these guys, at all because they certainly- would get worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. So, it, you know, you, you, you're you watching those sort of things and I went, well, you know, hopefully this is something that, you know, will lead somewhere. But look, now it's this game uh, on the back of that, you know, you, and it is, you go over, you pitch, it's exciting, you do that and then you, you leave and you come back and it kind of mm-hmm. almost feels a little bit flat because now it's just this- 
period of, well, you follow up, you do the things and if you don't, and all these wheels turn so slowly. I mean, they've, they're probably, I mean, we left that other day, probably three other people came and pitched and then the month yeah. before that every time, every day mm. there was five people coming in pitching per day. So there's so much stuff. They've got to read your scripts, which will still go out to, a, a you know, an underling in the in the business. I'll read for. And then that person's got to, that person will say, um, yeah, consider trash um, or, you know, um, develop or, you mm. know, whatever and then, and that's kind of where you where you'll end up, you know, to, depending where that is, and all that takes time. And then if it's a consider, then it's got to go on someone else's pile. How big's that pile? And so it's really trying to cut through. And um, you know, so this now we're in this game, you know. But like I said, we've we've these different things are trickling in, you know, slowly about a range of different projects. And and now we've just got to keep moving forward and, you know, keep doing what we do and hopefully something will stick. And if it doesn't, we've got to, you know, keep yeah, find another path, find another, another path avenue. with it. Yeah. And, and it, it, you know. <laughs>